Welcome to Necessary Illusions. I am your host, MC Squared. On this episode of the podcast, I interview Renee Johnston. She is an educator, a political activist, a member of the Green Party, and she's also an independent media personality. Check out her show on YouTube, which is part of Black Power Media, and is called Saturdays with Renee. I hope you enjoy the show. Solidarity forever. Thank you. Thanks for the invite. Appreciate it. So what's uh what's the new India India <laughs> indie media project all about? You're on YouTube now, you're doing videos. Renee, uh you're doing what? Saturdays with Renee, what's that all about? So uh Black Power Media, um Jared Ball, Dr. Jared Ball, who is a professor at uh Morgan State University down in Baltimore. Um I've been following Black Power Media for a long time and he invited me on a few times to just talk about third third party politics, the Green Party, what was going on with uh, Dr. West, and we got along. And so <laughs> when when the school year started and I could not jump on in the mornings or during the day as easily as I could during the summertime, um, you know, Jared asked me if I was available on a Saturday, and you know, we jumped on and. We just started, we just really got along. And so we decided to just keep it going. And he liked, he liked doing the Saturdays with Renee. He thought it had a nice little ring to it. And so um, the show is actually part of I Mix What I Like, which is one of the, you know, one of the spinoffs, I guess you can call it from Black Power Media. And uh, we're every Saturday at 11 a.m. We uh, jump on for a couple hours and just talk about Whatever's on the run sheet <laughs> just depends on the week. It kind of varies from week to week. Um, but we try to cover some political stuff. We cover um, community resources, talking about, you know, what community members can do, providing some resources for different things. We talk about international politics. We talk about Black politics. We talk about, he wrote a book called um, the, Myth, the Mythology and Propaganda of Black Buying Power. So we try to, you know, bring that in if we can. So it really is, is a, it's a hodgepodge of what we hope is useful information for the audience to kind of think on different things and, and figure out how they can organize themselves within their own communities to, you know, to the end of improving their own material conditions. How, how long have you been in uh, indie media personality? How long have you been doing this kind of stuff? Not very long, to be honest, to be honest. Um, I've been invited to do interviews here and there um, over the past couple of years. It being this 
regular, not very long, uh, yeah. maybe two or three months. <laughs> it's not, oh, wow. it's not been long at all, but you know, I'm a, I'm a, a, a research junkie. And yeah. so I tend to fall into rabbit holes about whatever thing is on my mind in the moment. And I find that, um, people just don't have time to really look beyond whatever the tweet says or whatever the news says or whatever the headline says. And for me, it's really important to give people opportunity to get more information than what is generally brought to them. So that's the, that's the overarching goal. So if I can bring somebody something that they didn't know before, I feel like I've done my, my due diligence in the world. Yeah, I mean, that's what the ruling class wants. They want to itemize us. They want to uh, monopolize our time. That's part of what the capitalist system does. They monopolize our time for the majority of the waking hours, uh, for the majority of our adult lives. And at some point, some people don't even retire. They're unable to. I mean, Social Security is inadequate. I just had a professor uh, this Saturday, and he's big into poverty reduction. Uh, He's part of the... Um, you know, religious community and, and trying to do, do so. Um, and in Philadelphia, there's a lot of poverty. In fact, in every, um, I actually lived in Baltimore where uh, Professor Ball is teaching at Morgan State. So, I mean, if you just walk around Baltimore, I mean, it's incredible how many um, vacant homes and even like entire yep. neighborhoods that are just completely boarded up, uh, dilapidated. Yep. Um, there's actually more um, vacant homes in Baltimore City then there are homeless people. Um, so, I mean, there's not a homeless problem in the United States. There's a lack of will problem. But uh, to go back exactly. to the agenda of the ruling class, what they want is to, again, monopolize our time to make us, um, you know, struggle, you know, to the point where sometimes people even have to get two and three jobs just to put food on the table to, to afford rent. Uh, to go back to what the uh, professor, Dr. Karp, was talking about um, in Philadelphia, what he was seeing and what they noticed is for the first time, I think it was Montgomery County, I think that's where he lives, for the first time, rent uh, in Montgomery County, the average rent, it's, it's outside of Philadelphia, I, mean, I might be the wrong county, but that's one of the ones he mentioned, rent is actually higher than the average Social Security payment. So you're getting, you're going to have to pay more in rent than you're getting um, in Social Security. So unless you have a couple of roommates, you know, and it's, at some point you want some dignity in your later years in life. They're supposed right. to be olden years. Right. Um, but yeah, you can't even afford Social Security. You can't even afford uh, to pay for rent, let alone food, car, maybe a supplemental insurance, maybe car insurance, groceries, entertainment, internet, phone. I mean, it's just ridiculous. Um, but that's what they want to do. They want to make, make us struggle. Uh, they want to make us struggle for everything, the ruling class. Uh, they want to make it difficult for us to have, find any time. You know, it's hard to change the world. It's, it's hard to organize with others. It's hard to protest. It's, it's hard to organize. It's, it's hard to, um, you know, change the establishment and change the way things are when you're tired, when you're constantly working, when you have a family and kids and you're struggling to put food on a table. So that's exactly by design. You know what I mean? <laughs> it sure is. It sure is. Absolutely. So, um, yeah. What do you, what do you, about, what about the, uh, independent media? Uh, I like to compare and contrast this a little bit. Uh, I would say, you know, what I'm doing here as well would be independent media, of course. I mean, I'm trying to put out a little show here, trying to uh, interview people and, you know, get a different perspective out there. 
and obviously it sounds like you're doing the same. What, what, what differences do you see between maybe independent media projects? And of course, the independent media projects could be talking about mainstream issues, could be talking about right wing issues, could be talking about leftist politics like we're doing here today. Uh, but what differences do you see, you know, between independent media and like the, the mainstream media, the corporate media, the agenda setting media, you know, your Fox News, your CNN, your MSNBC. I try to not even watch any of that stuff. So I usually try. I, to I literally yeah. do not watch it. I don't watch any of it. I am. Um, I'm so disturbed by, you know, um, we're literally like living in 1984. Like, <laughs> it's just, you know, it's in. It's just all propaganda. They tell you exactly what it is that they want you to know. They tell you what they think they need you to care about. They um, they sell whatever story they think is gonna, you know, get you scared and and worried about about whatever nonsense it is that they're putting out in that moment. And they never ever talk about the the basic the realities issues. of everybody's situation, right? Like yeah. they're not going to talk about the fact that there are more empty houses in almost every city yeah. than there are people who live on the streets. They're not going to talk about the fact that, you know, pay is ridiculous. They're not going to talk about the nursing crisis. They're not going to talk about like no, none of the stuff that would make any differential with regard to actually improving the material conditions of people. None of that stuff is is on the table for discussion. It's all about nonsense and distraction and and telling you this is the thing that you should be worried about right now um, without any care about whether or not that thing is actually relevant to the people that they're they're selling their story to. It's, yeah, I mean, um, here, here's what I think should be front page news. The two trillion dollar um, student loan uh, crisis. And maybe we can talk about your story a little bit. But, yeah, the fact that there are, um, you know, children, millions of children going hungry, uh, food insecure, the fact that there are hundreds of thousands of homeless people and, you know, that number is unreliable. Maybe it's a million. Who knows? It's And it seems like right. it's growing, at least where I right. was in Baltimore. I mean, there's tent cities all over the place. Um, you know, the fact that uh, the American dream, you know, like we work a month longer than our European counterparts um, for mm-hmm. some of the worst wages in the industrialized world. Um, there's mm-hmm. hundreds or, I mean, tens of millions, maybe 30 million plus uh, uninsured people in America. And that means, you know, if you're uninsured in America, uh, you're either going to die and, and maybe get denied um, healthcare services, um, or you are going to get a huge bill, you know, from a hospital um, if you if you go there for you know an emergency need. And, and of course, uh, medical bankruptcy is the most common reason a medical emergency, the most common reason that someone uh, claims bankruptcy uh, here in the mm-hmm. United States. And that's a problem right. unforeseen anywhere else in the world. People haven't even heard of this issue. Uh, right, because it's the, not it. The United States is the only place where medical debt bankruptcy actually exists. Yeah. <laughs> only yeah. here. This is the only place where that can happen. <laughs> uh, and I want to give you like, you know, the maybe the comparing the contrast, uh, the independent media, like maybe the projects we're trying to work on, you know, and try to educate people about the issues that actually matter instead of some nonsense and instead, instead of distraction. But I just retweeted. um it was the onion and it says here the new york times invents entirely new numerical system to avoid reporting <laughs> death 
you know? So, um, you know, that, I like the onion. They do some good stuff. Um, sometimes the world is even, it's, it, it kind of, uh, it's, it's hard to parry it itself, you know, like it's, uh, right. uh, satire. I mean, the world is so crazy anymore. Satire is almost a dying art, but you know, yep. the, I, I saw an article, I think it was the New York times. that said like Gaza sources say, um, maybe dozens of people injured in blast, you know, versus, you know, when they report, um, you know, Hamas directed terrorism, which it is, but when they, when they report like Hamas directed terrorism, they might say like Hamas or Israeli, or I'm sorry, uh, Hamas or the Palestinians, uh, kill, you know, dozens of, um, you know, innocent, uh, Israelis, or they might say like, you know, the, the 40 babies with their heads cut off, you know, they'll directly say it as, as a result of Hamas or Palestinian terrorism. Whereas if it's, um, you know, the Israelis committing this violence and these terrorist acts and maybe even these war crimes, depending on how you see the state of Palestine, it'll be like sources say possibly blast attributed to, you know, I mean, they'll just walk around it in every way possible instead of just saying it's, yeah, it's always it's always it's very genocide. vague. always yeah. very vague yeah yeah and they also obviously you know like the whole cutting off of babies heads was just false some of that right. happened they're not reporting about the indiscriminate shooting that the israeli army was doing when hamas um crossed you know crossed the wall so they're not telling anybody that some of those some of those citizens who got killed were killed by their own army. Right. So, fire, as they call it. I, right, I just actually learned right. about that on my podcast. I haven't seen any of that. So, yeah, that's obviously completely suppressed. They don't want you to know that. Uh, no. I also just saw that um, the Israeli army uh, just cut the Gaza Strip in two. So I couldn't imagine the kind of violence it would take to kind of cut the Strip in two. But essentially they did that to cut off, you know, the – communication between the two states and mm-hmm. to, um, you know, I guess, continue the embargo with the port, uh, essentially to commit war crimes. I mean, to, um, you know, limit their ability to feed themselves. I mean, just, I'm sure just terrible things are happening right, right. now. And I just well, feel in, so- in the end, and, and it's something that I think, you know, I get really irritated when I, I talk to people and they just don't understand. You, you cannot have a conversation about Palestine and Israeli issues i'm refused to call it a war because yeah. it's just so unbalanced not, but you no, you can't if you if you start that conversation on october 7th and you fail to understand the 75 years of absolute occupied state apartheid genocide death that was happening um you know i'm not i'm not having that conversation with you you know yeah. i i think i think people make the mistake of of just listening to what the news tells them. And if all you're listening to is, oh, the you know, these 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 terrorists, they did this thing on October seventh, and you don't understand that what happened on October seventh was a direct, direct like <laughs> response to seventy five years of torture and murder and occupation. And I just and I so I paraphrase this quote, like uh when you leave Peaceful when you uh, when you make peaceful protesting impossible, you make violence inevitable. I forget. I, saw, I think exactly it might have been, been JFK, even though he's another war criminal. But I, I paraphrase that. It's a good quote. Uh, and again, I'm not right. I'm not uh, condoning Hamas terrorism, but at some point, you know, this, it's inevitable. This provocation, 75 years uh, of pro- provocative behavior, you know, towards Palestinians. Uh, you know, it's worse than an apartheid state. 
I've quoted Chomsky before. Uh, if you're talking about apartheid state South Africa, um, you know the blacks in South Africa they were part of the um, economy. They were part of the service economy. You know they they were relied on by the governing white population there. Here in Gaza and in Palestine. Uh, they're completely being, you know, exterminated. They're being pushed out. They're being uh, killed, slaughtered. Um, right. So it's worse than an apartheid state, uh, what Chomsky would say. Well, and and in Gaza, if you if you consider that in the West Bank, where they have, you know, tried to work with the Palestinian Authority underneath the rule of of the occupancy, and to try and get along within Israeli law. And, you know, Hamas is not a thing in the West Bank, and yet they're also under occupation. They're also being slaughtered by settlers. They're all like, so, you know, I I, I, I don't like to use the word terrorist simply because that is, that is the, the, the tale that is being told by Western media in order to completely dismiss what has been happening in Palestine for 75 years. It is never acceptable to kill civilians. Um, I don't, I'm, I'm staunchly anti-war. I don't like the idea of people, loss of life for any reason. Um, but the reality of the fact is Israeli helped to create Hamas when they were trying to destroy the political growth in Palestine back in the, the, the 19, I think it was the 1970s. And, and so now, you know, now we're going to start talking about, oh, they're terrorists. But, you know, what do you do when your entire, when you have generations of families being destroyed by people who decided they wanted your land, right? right. Um, it's just, I, I just, I have such a hard time getting people, like having this conversation and getting people to understand that. No, you never, you never chair loss of life, right? That's never, you never, you never like, yay, loss of life. That, that's not the result. But if you dismiss why it's happening and simply say, oh, it's terrorism, right? Then you've, you've lost, like, you've literally lost the 75 years, right? Because what, what happens? Like, what happens when you're watching people die, on a regular basis, simply because there's another group who came to your country and decided that they wanted to take over your land and that they don't care about your life. Like there has to, there was going to be a point where, you know, they were going to try and get their, their freedom. And there's actually a whole coalition of people who are fighting um, the Israeli army. It's not just Hamas. Hamas is actually the voted in democratically leadership of Palestine. <laughs> so also this idea that like, you know, it's this random terrorist group. It's not. Um, and we can disagree with the method, but you know, you also, if you, if you, if you deny the fact that this became what it is because these people have been tortured and killed and under occupation for 75 years, you know, what, where's the, con like, how can you even have a conversation if you forget that part? So let me read uh, maybe the most, uh, I think, uh, appropriate quote here about what's going on in Gaza and Palestine. Generally, this is Chomsky, my favorite philosopher. So Chomsky says, you can take my water, 
burn my olive trees, destroy my house, take my job, steal my land, imprison my father, kill my mother, bombard my country, starve us all, humiliate us all. But I am to blame. I shot a rocket back. So that's Chomsky. Yep. That's not, uh, he hasn't made any comments on the most recent um, you know, issues that are going on. Uh, he's taking a little break from media. He's 94 years old. I hope he's doing well. Uh, I'm going to the Department of State. So this is right here from the U.S. Department of State. Terrorism, premeditated, political, motivated violence perpetrated against non-combatant targets by substantial groups or clandestine agents. So uh, there's a better definition. I think it's in the Army Manual, which I've read before. But basically by our own definitions, I say our own as an American citizen, um, the United States is the world's leading terrorist state. Um, exactly. Israel, yeah, I mean... <laughs> You know, Israel is like our attendant. They're our attack dog. So the, the main reason for, you know, we've been funding Israel tens of billions of dollars. I think like $160 mm-hmm. billion dollars the last time I checked since uh, the conclusion of World War II. The reason that the United States needs Israel in the Middle East, Israel needs us, first off. Israel would not exist without um, U.S. political, ideological, mm-hmm. financial, mm-hmm. and military aid. The other thing that mm-hmm. uh, Israel does, it's, a, it's essentially a microcosm of the U.S. economy. It's a high-tech economy, military-based. And one of the mm-hmm. things that it allows the defense contractors uh, to do is test new weapons technology yep. on live citizens, uh, commit war crimes, white phosphorus. We can, you know, we, again, as American citizens, we're funding this terrorism. I actually retweeted uh, there's a good um, – it was a good uh, street art exhibit on a uh, New York City subway train. It was like an American flag, and beneath it it said, uh, you know, American flag, and then it said funding terrorism because we are. I mean, we're paying, uh, and Biden wants yep. to increase the funding to Israel to carry out um, essentially genocide. Uh, it's not, it's not uh, that, um, you know, the U.S. is in favor of genocide, but Israel is a very, plays a very strategic role. First off, like in the most recent food vote, uh, food being a human right, which every country in the world but the U.S. and Israel think the food is a human right. I agree with the rest of the world. But if you notice <laughs> on all these types of votes, Israel just kind of goes along with U.S. power. They are right. our lieutenant. They are our client state. It would not exist without U.S. power. But the reason that we want to fund Israel and the reason that we allow them to carry out genocide is because we want Israel to be essentially a military outpost so that the United States can control the world's oil. Essentially, right. Israel at this point is a pariah state. They have almost no other allies. They are a pariah state. They're a rogue state. They don't follow international law. And it would easily be crushed, you know, by, um, you know, potentially another you know country in the Middle East for what they're doing. But the United States um, backs it and makes sure that Israel has the um, strongest military in the Middle East so that we can continue to control um, the world's oil supply. And even if the um, U.S. was um, oil neutral, even if we were energy neutral, or, you know, self-sufficient, and we didn't need Middle East oil, um, we would still, you know, want that stronghold there, because when you control the world's oil supply in an oil-based economy, you control the world. So that's kind of what's going on there. That's kind of the way um, I see it. Uh, I definitely don't condone, you know, again, what Hamas did to the citizens uh, in Israel, but, um, you know, I, 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 I definitely see it as a provoked attack 
for 75 plus years and I, you know, read Chomsky. Um, I, I, I got um, radicalized by, um, you know, the Obama and his failures, the hopey changey stuff that never came true. Right. Um, the bank bailouts and then, the, you know, the, the executives in these banks essentially um, months after they are bailed out, you know, getting, um, you know, six figure, seven figure bonuses, all that kind of stuff. Um, right. And somewhere along the way, I found Bernie. Right. But, um, you know, he's kind of letting me down here. I just, I just, <laughs> Bernie has yeah. lost the plot. Poor Bernie. I don't I, even so, know. I, so I yeah. read a speech, though, um, recently. Uh, it might have been today. And he said that I, I support Israel's um, their right to defend themselves. You know, like how how are they defending themselves when they continue to annex more land? They are attacking, you know, the Gaza Strip. They're they're invading the Gaza Strip, and like you said, this is not a war. This is slaughter. This is you know, right. this is and they're all and they're also attacking murder. the West Bank, and I and and that's something that the media is not talking about. They're they are attacking the West Bank as well, and Hamas does not exist there. Yeah. So, you know, but of course mainstream media this is not something they're discussing it's not something they're going to talk about because they want they want everybody to believe that you know this is all self-defense which is just total nonsense it's yeah absolute nonsense just like uh the united states invaded iraq and afghanistan because we were defending right. ourselves from some country that was right. thousands of miles away from our border you know it's just right. it's just a it's a lame excuse the um you know, the pretext completely collapses upon examination. Of course, Israel is not defending itself as it invades the Gaza Strip and what it's been doing for the last 75 years. It's not defense. It's imperialism. It's settler colonialism. Uh, and it, right. it's being funded by U.S. taxpayers because we want to continue to maintain control of the world's oil supply. And the reason that we um, fund Israel is because we want to make sure Israel has the strongest uh, army in the Middle East. And um, that's why they've been getting. So if, if Israel was a state, uh, they would be number one in funding, in federal funding. We'd give them more than any other state in the union. So they are the 51st right. state, but they are above every other state in terms of their funding. And again, the reason uh, is not because necessarily the U.S. likes genocide. It's certainly funding it, but wants to continue to maintain, maintain uh, control over the oil rights of the world. And, um, you know, not much, not much different. We got Saudi Arabia, who's also an ally there. They have a terrible, um, family regime that commits war crimes and all that kind of stuff. But, um, you know, because, you know, they're allied with us, uh, we have a few strategic allies in the Middle East and, um, you know, they, they essentially play nicely because all the money flows back to the U.S. from the oil. So, uh, anyways, but yeah, complicated. You know what's going on there in the Middle East, but I don't think it's pretty hard to see that it's it's not a war. It's completely one sided. It's genocide. Uh, and even I saw this. Someone tweet this like, okay, like let's say a terrorist. Okay, because we have these terrorists, uh, domestic terrorists, whatever you want to call it. First off, a terrorist list shouldn't even exist. A terrorist list is essentially a list by the executive of the United States. They can pick any enemy they want. We should not We should not right. be okay with a terrorist list. They can just pick whatever state enemy, domestic enemy. They can just label label any person they want a terrorist. There's no evidence needed. There's no, there's no process or <laughs> judicial process or process of law. You can just be labeled a terrorist. You can even be an American citizen living abroad. You can be uh, killed by a drone and, and labeled a terrorist with no course of action, no legal proceedings. 
meetings, no way to get off it. It's just the executive, the president says, you're a terrorist, and all of a sudden, you're a terrorist, and we can assassinate you, which is just ridiculous. We should not stand for the terrorist list. Uh, we should completely get rid of it. It's completely nonsense. It's just a, an effort to, um, you know, propagandize and, you know, essentially eliminate your enemies. I mean, for example, um, Fred Hampton, I think, wasn't he labeled like a domestic terrorist or he was on some FBI yes. watch list. So, yes. I mean, they, F, I think uh, JFK, or not JFK, not JFK, um, MLK was on it. I think Noam Chomsky um, has been on it. So all sorts of, you know, people uh, get labeled domestic terrorists and there's no way to get off this list and you're only on it because someone says so and there's no, you know, legal right. proceedings or whatever. But anyways, uh, okay, anyway, off the off the terrorist terrorology uh, stuff that <laughs> the mainstream media likes to talk about. But, like, all the times, right, there's school shootings in the United States. We lead the world in this kind of category. It's one of the American exceptionalism, you know, it's one thing we do very, really well at school shootings uh, because of the insane gun culture we have here. But, um, okay, so if a, if, a, if a gunman, you know, took over a school and there's, you know, hundreds or more of innocent students in the school, would it be then okay to bomb that school because you got one terrorist right. in there? Or let's say a right. group of five or ten terrorists, you know, let's say they call themselves or affiliate with Hamas. Would that be okay to then just go, okay, and bomb the school? Because that's exactly what Israel's doing. They're bombing exactly. hospitals because they say there's Hamas tunnels underneath it. And even if there are, there's no evidence. I mean, they're going to show us any evidence. But that yeah. makes it okay to bomb a school, to bomb churches, to bomb um, neighborhoods, to bomb hospitals and kill babies in their incubators, nurses, doctors, injured civilians. Uh, of course not, you know? Right. So right. it's <laughs> a sad state of affairs. What, um, what, let's, let's change gears a little bit, though. We, I've, I've talked a lot about the Israel-Palestine stuff. Unless there's anything else you want to say about it, let's move topics. Mm, yeah, we can we can move on. <laughs> I, think you, I think you hit it pretty good. Or we've hit it pretty good. What about uh, politics general? So I talked about a little bit of what radicalized me, and it's sad to see you know what Bernie has become. I mean, I still think he's on the side of the working class, but he's definitely changed in the last you know five years. He's certainly not as radical. He's not a rallying um, organizer. He said at one point he'd be the organizer in chief, all that kind of stuff. But let's talk about your political, um, you know, your political development or political evolution uh how long have you been involved in politics when did you become radicalized and when did you get involved with third party uh green party um i mean i don't know if radicalized about politics is very it's it's <laughs> i i did vote for obama in 20 2008 um because i i fell for the change line um and then it just it just wasn't <laughs> It just wasn't what he promised to be. Um, and there was, you know, there was a lot happening at that time, you know, as you, you mentioned, the, the bank bailouts and um, the bombing of Syria and, you know, like there was the just, stuff. There, yeah. there was so much happening. Um, and, you know, I was actually dating who is now my husband now. And um, <laughs> we had, we had some very lengthy conversations about um, about the failings of the administration, and um, I have not voted for anyone in the duopoly since two thousand and eight. So I just I just gave up on it. Like it just, and, and I hate to say gave up on it because I do still vote. Um, I tend to write someone in at the top, uh, and I'm just not really. Uh, it, well, that's what I've done recently. I, I wasn't really a big 
a Howie Hawkins fan. Um, so I did not vote for him in the last election. I just, I actually think I wrote Bernie in, if I remember correctly. I think just, just so I could put something at the top of the ticket. Um, I voted Green Party prior to that, voted for Ralph Nader. You know, I just, the, the two party system is not working for anybody. It's just, you know, it's, it's a complete falsehood of telling people one is better, you know, one is slightly better than the other. So go with the thing that's slightly better. And the reality is if you have to choose a lesser evil, you're not actually choosing something that's not evil. You're still choosing evil. It's just what they're telling you is the lesser version of it. And um, <clears throat> so I moved to New Jersey two and a half years ago. Um, I was a registered Democrat, even though I was not voting Democrat um, while I was in New York. Um, and when we moved, I switched parties to Green Party, which was kind of what I knew I was going to do upon moving. Um, I was not involved with the Green Party at all in any you know, sincere way in New York. I did follow it, um, you know, signed up. I voted that way to try and get them the 5% and to try and keep the ballot access going in New York. Um, and then the New Jersey How about these parties, arbitrary numbers too, though? They come up with these arbitrary numbers, 5% uh, it's all, whatever, yeah. It's all arbitrary. I, um, you know, I, I told you about my rabbit holes. I, I started researching what it takes to be to get ballot access as an independent presidential candidate. And it is such a variance of things depending on which state you're in. <laughs> like there's no, there's no single, single path. There's literally 50 different paths to get it. Um, I've actually seen this. I'm from different. Pennsylvania and uh, I'm so religiously, I'm agnostic. I wouldn't consider myself an atheist, but then I, I saw this rabbit hole one time in a statistic. It was like, uh, there's like a handful of states. So if you're not like Christian or if you're an atheist or maybe even agnostic, if you don't believe in God, you can't run for political office. That's absurd. Like mm -hmm. this is not a Christian national state. At least I don't think so. Uh, maybe other people. Well, might. it's not supposed to be. Yeah. Maybe the speaker <laughs> of the house, the, speaker, the new speaker of the house mm -hmm. might think so, but that's ridiculous. Even in my home state where I'm from, Pennsylvania, it's a swing state or, you know, what at one point it was a blue state. Um, but yeah, if, apparently if you're not, uh, if you're not part of the, you know, religious, you know, if you're not drinking the Kool-Aid, literally, you know, with this Christian stuff. Um, yeah. If you don't believe in God, you can't even run for office. That's ridiculous. There shouldn't be rules. I think anyone, even if you have a, a felony, you know, I think, I think the, 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 that's part of what the right wants to do is to disenfranchise, to make it difficult. But the Democrats do the same thing. You know, the Democrats are center right. You know, I mean, Biden certainly is. Um, you know, they're a centrist party. There's two business parties. Um, there's one business party with two factions, essentially, uh, in the United States. But, yeah, all these ridiculous rules, 5% or, you know, if you forgot to send in this form. I mean, just a lot of party shenanigans. Uh, definitely right. cost Bernie, you know, the nomination, the Democratic Party shenanigans. But to just even keep, um, you know, the Green Party off the ballot and to keep them out of um, the debate, you know, it would be really cool. Right. You know, I'm, I'm not – I'm an anarchist, so I don't – I oppose political parties in theory, um, but I think that's a great thing. And maybe you can talk about the Greens platform. But wouldn't it be a good thing to get a Green in the in the debate and maybe come up with and hear some different answers, some different questions, uh, instead of just the mainstream BS between the two capitalist parties that we have? 
Right. And, and you, you know, you would think, <laughs> you would really think that that would be, that that would be important, right? To, to have these conversations where people are actually discussing the things that are important towards, again, improving their own material conditions. But the goal is not, it, the goal is not to educate people. The goal is not to educate voters. The goal is not to get people more out, more people out, no matter how many times they tell you about this whole, like, get out, get out the vote thing. Yeah. It's all, it's all, you know, it's all kabuku theory. It's all nonsense. It's just them presenting this idea that they really want you to participate in this process while doing everything they possibly can to completely um, get people to disengage with the process because it's just a farce. So my big, my, my huge conundrum right now with electoral politics is, you know, the system has set people up to believe that their vote is useless, right? And that voting doesn't do anything and that it doesn't serve a purpose. And the system wants you to believe that because then yes. the people who vote are the people who will keep the system going as is. The, 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 the other issue is there's nobody to really rely on, right? Like, People run for office and they tell you who they're going to be when they get there and you get excited because you think like, oh, finally, there's going to be somebody who's going to get into this position, who's going to do something different. And then they get there and they completely, you know, they lose the plot. And so you're stuck now with someone who got into that space because they convinced you that they were going to do something different and then they get there and they're just like everyone else. Um and it's a real it's a real issue because how do you get people to reinvest in a process that clearly doesn't work? Well, it doesn't work to keep people from being invested in the process. So it's just yeah. you know, it's this this total circular thing that's going. And in the end, it's it's gonna continue with um people remaining in power who don't have any actual interest in in improving the material conditions of regular working people. And so the circle is just gonna continue unless we can find a way to break the system. And I, you know, that's gonna take community organizing and working locally and not being so super invested in my opinion in, in the federal and national politics of it all, because you know, the, the best you can do is work within your local community to try and improve things there. And then, you know, hope that change spreads. I'm all about that for sure. Uh, that's what I'm all about, like anarcho syndicalism. So essentially, uh, I'm not a Marxist, but like I, I want in the long term a uh, classless society, um, hopefully without standing or you know without governments, without standing governments or nation states. Uh, I think in the long run, probably not in my lifetime, you know, your lifetime, but that's what I want and believe. Like you know, get rid of these arbitrary borders, these arbitrary governments, these standing armies. Um, you know, they are essentially created by European colonization and uh, the favorite sport of Europeans for hundreds of years were, was slaughtering each other, you know, and slaughtering right. all around the world. Uh, eventually, we had World War II and the nuclear weapons that were developed and they, you know, kind of the, <laughs> the people in power realized, hey, if we keep doing this favorite pastime of ours, there's not going to be there's not going to be uh, anything left. So, but yeah, it's almost like the prerequisite for politics is to be a good liar. I'm tired of that too. Uh, it just seems like, you know, we have two terrible candidates. You have to pull your little lever and choose one of the least bad candidates. And that's not democracy, right. you know, that's absurd. So, um, you know, I think that, 
you know, got to change the system for sure. Uh, but, you know, I think we can't abandon electoral politics. Like, that's what the right wants. Like, the Republicans are happy to gerrymander and pick up easy wins, you know, all over the country. They don't even need uh, a majority with gerrymandering. They can get a minority and still win the presidency uh, and still win big offices. Right. So, but I totally agree. Right. Uh, what we should always focus on and what Chomsky says is, you know, uh, politics every single day, you know, having conversations with people every single day, you're act- involved in activism and community involvement. An election is, ha- is it's, it's the quadrennial extravaganza. It happens once every four years. It should take right. you all of five minutes to figure out who to vote for uh, between Pepsi and Coke. Is it really going to be a big difference? Probably not most of the time. Uh, I mean, some people might argue that Trump is a existential threat and all that kind of stuff. Um, I don't think he's all that much worse than Biden, but I would prefer uh, a Biden presidency, I guess, over Trump, although I'm not going to argue too hard uh, for it. And it looks like we're going to get a rematch against, you know, Biden has some of the worst uh, approval numbers I've seen in a long time. They're at or even below Trump's. Uh, so we have, right. two, we have two historically unpopular candidates, and it looks like we're going to get that uh, as a rematch. So obviously, American democracy is strong as ever, I say sarcastically. Uh, and of course, I always quote this study, but uh, Princeton University 2014 said that uh, the United States is no longer a democracy. It's an oligarchy. So anyways, uh, <laughs> American democracy, not looking too good. Um, but yeah, what's, what's maybe talking, I haven't really talked, I've talked to, it had several greens on, uh, I am, again, an anarchist, so I kind of oppose political parties in principle. Uh, I'm more of an issues-based person. I'm for working-class politics, so who's ever supporting the working class, that's who I'm all about. Uh, but when given a choice, uh, if, it was, if it was equal, you know, between the Greens, the Democrats, or the Republicans, I would definitely choose the Green Party just blindly. I don't even, you know, I don't even know. But, um, you know, what's the Greens all about? Maybe talk about their platform and what, you got, what got you on the side of the Greens. So the there you know they have the, the the ten key values and the four pillars and and they're essentially about democracy and social justice and decentralization, um, community based economics, diversity, global responsibility, um, and you know in in my opinion, plot, right? Legal. <laughs> yeah. hey, that's on that's on the list. Um, <laughs> as is killing student debt and free education. You know the, the the broad scheme of what the Green Party wants to do is is fairly in line in just about every way that I can think of with what I feel like would make society at least work in a way that that allows for the majority of people to to survive right and to thrive. And here's the thing: like the majority of the U.S. population thinks the same thing too. Majority of the U.S. population wants a ceasefire right now in Gaza, although the media right. wouldn't let you want you to know that. Uh, the majority of the population, even Republicans, even Republicans, majority of Republicans want to legalize pot or at least decriminalize it. Um, the uh, the majority of Americans didn't like Obama's uh, health care proposal, the Obamacare, not because they don't want government health care, because it didn't go far enough. They want universal health care, although, again, the, the media doesn't want you to know that. I have, um, I think I retweeted uh, Miss Turbo Kitty this morning. She said she had a picture of all of the highest paid uh, executives, uh, health care executives uh, in America. People making tens of millions of dollars per year. Mm-hmm. Those are the people, uh, as, as why, those are people that are responsible for why we can't have uh, affordable health care and Medicare for all here. So all the issues that the Greens stand for, the majority of Americans want, but... 
They're right. so propagandized that they don't even know it. They, they think that the Greens are probably some radical party or, you know, a bunch of potheads. Who knows? But, you know, the Green right. New Deal, majority of Americans um, and, and uh, international, uh, majority of people around the world think that the world government should be doing a heck of a lot more than they are right now to address climate change. That's one of the things that the Greens uh, kind of stood for is environmental rights, too, right? Right. Right. Yeah, so. and, I mean, you know, the, the, the Green New Deal actually came out of the Green Party, which a lot of people don't know, um, the, the, the original Green New Deal. And, you know, it, the reality of the situation is this system is not working for the majority of people. And the only way to fix it is to not continue to comply with what the normal you know, what the system tells you to do. Like if, if you just keep going along with what, what they're feeding you, you're never going to get anything different. Um, and it's, you know, it's always interesting when I hear people talk about the gerrymandering and the things that the Republican party is doing, which is all true. And a lot of people don't understand that the democratic party is just as guilty of, (laughs) you know, denying people the vote. They work twice as hard to, to kick independent parties off the ballot. Um, they are probably in the majority of cases of where the Green Party is getting, you know, is is having an issue with with something with the state. It's because of the it's because of the Democratic Party, not actually because of the Republican Party. Um, probably because so, uh, if you vote Green, that that person would probably more likely vote Democrat than Republican, I guess. So that's why they they view it as more of a direct threat, you know. And that's the right. that's the problem with the Democrats is they don't appeal to leftists. And they've abandoned the working class decades ago. So they just kind of, you know, appeal to kind of like, seems like big, Democrat, we have two essential, essentially business parties in the country. You know, you have a rural based business party in the Republicans, and then you have, you know, kind of a city based uh, business party, but um, neither party, uh, you know, neither party um, makes working class people, you know, a priority. Um, and, uh, yeah, neither party, I mean, they both talk about democracy, right? But those of power and privilege have never been in favor of democracy because it interferes with power and privilege. So I guess I'm right. sure that's why the Democrats, though, fear the Greens so much, not so the Republicans. The Republicans probably, maybe they fear the Libertarians more. But, yeah, no doubt about it. Both parties, Republicans right. and Democrats, they want to be the only game in town. They want two parties on the ballot. That's it. You know what I mean? Right. Right. And and even the idea that, like, you know, the Green Party is stealing the Democratic vote, which I think is is something that people think is the reality. I actually think the majority of people who vote Green Party probably would not vote at all if they didn't have the Green Party as an option. So this idea that, like, oh, they're spoilers and all these things like it's just it's it's not in line with the, the reality of what the what, you know, the numbers say right like they're not they're not the the thing and they're not the reason that the democrats are are failing across the board it's because the more the democrats fail at doing their job the more people become disenfranchised and the more people who decide they're just not going to vote at all and then you have some of those voters who decide you know what i i like what the green party's doing and i like what they're they're trying to accomplish so they may decide to to vote third party just so that they can participate in the process still but the overall system is so busy trying to convince everybody that the Green Party is useless and they're spoilers and they can't get anything done. And the reason that 
you know, in the end. And and listen, the Green Party is not without its faults. There's there's some things definitely there that that need some adjusting, and and they're going to have to if they're going to become <clears throat> even a threat to the duopoly, they're going to have to to really work on that outreach, you know, and and getting local people to understand what the yeah the local level outreach local and getting people elections. to understand. Yeah, local elections, city, county, state. I think that's what I'd like and to they, say. And they do have, you know, like I think they're at 125 local seats that Green Party members have won. So it's not that they're not doing that, but if you consider the thousands of seats that are available, it's still right, not right. a huge percentage of those of, of those people who are who are getting into a space um, where they're able to affect local politics. And so that, you know, like I said, it's not, it's not without its, its issues. And, and I, I do think that some, I, my personal opinion about the Green Party is as a, a, a national party, they do not invest enough time and energy working on that local growth in between the four-year um, presidential campaign. And I think that's, you know, I think that's really the downfall is that they're not doing that work in between. Um, But, you know, on top of that, they are hugely, hugely undersold by the media. They don't get any attention. And, you know, the only time people talk about the Green Party is when they want to complain that they're spoilers and they're going to mess it up, mess things up for the Democratic Party. So people who only know that little bit of whatever is being sold to them by mainstream media. They just have no idea that the Green Party is probably more aligned with the things that they would wish would happen in society than anybody that the media is putting forth as a viable candidate. I have a theory on why maybe Democrats keep losing elections and why people don't want to vote for them. They suck. They're terrible. I can't stand them. They really are. They Um, really are. So uh, you said a little bit about resistance. Uh, I want to talk about civil disobedience. I retweeted this. I was on your page today as I was researching for our show tonight. Uh, but you, re, uh, you, you tweeted and retweeted, um, I guess there was a blockade. Uh, was it mm-hmm. of the Boeing factory? Um, it's our, it's our right or it's our responsibility as U S citizens. We should not be allowing the U S government and these angels of death, death, these military contractors to, um, to, uh, to essentially carry out genocide or to essentially to arm Israel so they can carry out genocide. Genocide is against international law. So even though um, civil disobedience and maybe, you know, kind of, you know, breaking the law here, but in fact, the United States is, again, the world's leading terrorist state uh, where essentially um, our taxpayers are funding Israel's um, terrorism and maybe war crimes um, in their, in their, essentially trying to eradicate the Palestinians, carry out genocide. It's clear. Uh, there's been, you know, UN officials that are uh, resigning in protests. Uh, I've read uh, a letter yesterday about this is textbook genocide. This is not, this is not a radical. This is a UN official saying this kind of stuff. So, um, you know, we should resist uh, civil disobedience. We should be in every port, you know, where, where these weapons contractors, Boeing, Lockheed Martin, Northrop Grumman, where they're, um, you know, many more, Raytheon, where they're sending weapons to Israel so they can carry out war crimes and terrorism and genocide, we should be stopping them. We should be rising up. Um, and it's not even, it's, a, it's Ill- illegal 
for what we're trying to do. You know, it's genocide is illegal. Uh, international terrorism is illegal. Uh, invading another country is illegal. And that's all things that, um, you know, Israel's doing right now. So, I mean, it, it gets called civil disobedience and maybe it's looked at as resistance by the ruling class here. But for us to stand up and do these types of things, if we live in a democracy, we're only following international law. You know what I mean? Right. And, and there are really only two things, in my opinion, that, that can happen at this point that are, that's going to have any kind of actual effect. So the civil disobedience where you're physically preventing these things from moving, right? Um, physically helping to save people on the Gaza Strip, like that actual physical work. The other thing is economics, right? Because in the end, all these people really care about is money and their profit. That's that's their end goal. So the the war machine is being it's being fed by corporate entities. It's being fed by um, you know all these billionaires who you know all they care about is the next oil reserve that they can suck dry. Um, and there's going to have to be a real stance that companies that are supporting the genocide of Palestinians cannot get money. And it's going to have to be that simple. You know, I don't know, I don't know how old you are, but I'm 47. So I literally remember that the first real conversations about stopping apartheid in South Africa happened when Coca-Cola realized that they were going to start losing profits because people were going to boycott Coca-Cola because they supported the apartheid in South Africa. And so it's going to, you know, the and that's why the government has worked so hard to stop the BDS movement because they, you know, they know, like, that's how you, that's really what you do to stop things. You stop the money, the flow of money because once the profits start to become affected, all of a sudden companies will think twice about where they're where they're allowing their support to go. Um, and so I saw a great, um, and I, sh I did share a, a picture of, it, it, was, it's, it was to symbolize McDonald's and it was two, you know, it was like two missiles going and there was a kid like in the middle and, you know, they want people to boycott McDonald's because it turns out McDonald's has been feeding the Israeli army and sending money to wow. Israel. Yeah. And so, you know, this is going to have to be part of the strategy. Like people can go and they can climb on the ships and, you know, th there's some risk to that if people are willing to do that. But in the end, it's going to have to be money that that that's going to be the thing that stops it. And until enough people are willing to be uncomfortable because they're just going to, you know, say like, we're just not going to support these companies that are allowing these entire generations of families to be slaughtered for oil reserves. <laughs> that's that's going to have to be what happens. And that's also what uh, led kind of the U.S. to pull out of Vietnam. The business community turned against the war. It was unpopular. It was a right. losing war. It was an expensive war. So right. the U.S. government, U.S. power centers didn't pull out of Vietnam until the business community said, hey, you know, let's get out of here. We're not going to support money. this. Right. So the same, I think, would right. apply here. That's the only thing they can understand is money, you know. Right. Uh, and, yeah, like the, the BDS movement for sure. Um, you know, I think it's, what is it, uh, boycott, divestment, and sanctions, right? It's a, yep. 
uh, against uh, essentially Israeli um, power centers, I guess, in the society, that sort of thing. And and companies that um, that are Israeli companies, <laughs> you know, okay. there's their actual food products that are exported from Israel. Um, and there are companies that are based in Israel, and there are companies that are um, full out supporting Israeli army. And so, if if people are so inclined, you know, they just have to kind of make that decision that that's just something they're going to do. And if every person thinks of it like their little bit is 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 what they can do, just do the thing that you can do, right? So, right. when I found out that. Um, Home Depot was one of the companies that was given money to the Atlanta Police Foundation, which is one of the reasons that Cop City in Atlanta is being built. I flat out stopped shopping at Home Depot. Now, does that really make a big difference to the Home Depot bottom dollar? Probably not. If you but, tell your you friends, though, if you tell your friends, right. your Twitter followers. Sure. And, for me, and for me, it was important that my money not go to that. I stopped drinking Dunkin' Donuts for the same reason. I don't want my money to be going towards these things. And I have no interest in being part of, part of I'm, you know, I'm already forced to be part of this capitalist system because I you know, I like my house and I like being able to eat and I like that I'm warm and dry and, and all those things. And, you know, you're forced to participate if you want to survive. But, you know, if, if I could not participate in ways that I feel like are just completely detrimental to the ability for people to survive and thrive, then I just don't want to be part of that if I can help it. So I, I try in my little ways. And if that means I have to give up Dunkin Donuts, then that's what I did. If I have to go to, you know, drive five minutes longer and go to Lowe's instead of Home Depot, then that's what I'm going to do. Um, Here's the thing, I, though. I'm I, sure Lowe's is doing terrible things, too. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, it's tricky, right? Like, it, they're all... Right. They all are. No, there's so all, many... You want to be part of this capitalist system. And, uh, right. But, you know, I mean, you got to sleep with yourself at night, you know, and if it, if it right. allows you to sleep a little bit better to say, hey, I'm not going to I'm not gonna put my money in uh, Home Depot's coffers because of what they're doing, I think that's a right. great thing. So yeah, we alluded to it a little bit. Let's let's what's going on with Cop City. Uh, we we talked a little bit about the pre-call. I mean, I followed the story a little bit. I've heard there's also another uh, major training center being built for cops uh, outside of Baltimore, um, my old stomping grounds. And I think we were talking on the pre-call about you know there, there's cop cities and these uh, you know training centers and these you know essentially militarizing the police and of course. Speaking of militarization of the police, you know, Biden, the architect of the crime bill, he's all in favor of expansion of the police. He doesn't want to defund the police. He wants to, and I quote, fund them, fund them, fund them, unquote. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, Israeli, uh, Israeli military and defense forces, um, they are responsible for training our police and vice versa. There's a lot of uh, back and forth between U.S. security forces and the military and Israeli security forces and their military. So um, what's going on, though, with Cop City and they're getting built all over the country, not just in Atlanta now, right? Yeah. So I was first alerted to the facility in Atlanta, actually, back at the end of um, 2021, um, in the fall of 2021. And I think what stood out for me at the time was that they were tearing down one of two urban forests that still exist in the country. And I couldn't for the life of me understand why that was going to be um, something that the city of Atlanta was going to invest in. Um, 
it turns out that it's actually contrary to all of the city planning that had been put in place that they'd been working on since 2017. And it is in fact a direct response to the fact that the city of Atlanta came out in 2020 following not just the murder of George Floyd, but the murder of Rayshawn Brooks, who was killed in a Wendy's parking lot in Atlanta by the police department. Um, Rayshawn Brooks, pardon me. Um, so what what I started to discover is while everyone had eyes on Atlanta as there should be eyes on Atlanta, rest in peace, Dorothy Gita, who was killed by um, the Georgia State Police, um, you know, claims that he shot first, even though the autopsy says otherwise. Yeah. Um, but what I've discovered in my my rabbit hole of searching for information is that there are actually 47 cities across the country who since 2020 um, have either built, started to build, or are planning to build um, some form of uh, police training facility, public safety facility, communications facility, you know, something of, of that matter. And I haven't gotten back into my spreadsheet that I created to to really dig deep into each one to, to figure out what exactly is happening. But it's pretty clear to me that um, this is a this is a direct result of the fact that people came out in full in full force in 2020. And um, police, by nature, are not actually uh, in existence to support people. They're not in existence to provide public safety. They're not in existence to prevent crime. They are actually in existence to make sure that rich people are able to hold on to their property. And yeah, so... Protect property and preserve disorder, to preserve inequality, right. to preserve you know, the new gilded age of extreme wealth inequality here in the United States. So to ensure that uh, rich people maintain their property and to keep homeless people and those that are dissidents and those that are protesting in their place. And a lot of the times right. they use violence and even kill them to do that. Right. And, um, and it's a big, it's, you know, it's a big propaganda campaign to have people um, thinking that, that police are there to serve and protect. Propaganda. I love exactly. that word. Lots of propaganda all over TV um, and media and Hollywood and movies. So many buddy cop everywhere. movies. It's disgusting. Yep, everywhere. And, you know, so everyone, a lot of people are under under this mistaken belief that that's what police are for. But the reality is that they are there to prevent poor and working people from gathering any, you know, attempt to to create their own resources, to... They're class traders, so the, the exactly. are always used by the ruling class when there's labor resistance strikes, all that kind of stuff. Correct. They're always called in by the members of the ruling class to put it down with force. So they're class traders, yep. as I call them. I'm not necessarily uh, in favor of abolishing the police. I'm open to it. I want to leave it up to the local communities. Uh, I definitely think we should defund the police. And then if we want to abolish the police, uh, I wouldn't do that on a federal level, but leave it up to the local communities, which allows me to make my next point, like Washington, D.C., uh, they wanted to defund the police. I'm all about it. They have taxation without representation. I think they are they fall under the con one of con they fall under Congress for essentially their governance. Uh, and I mm -hmm. believe uh, the city council in D.C. I remember that because I lived there at the time uh, voted to defund the police. 
and Congress stepped in to um, to essentially nix that. Uh, so, and, I, and I've seen um, other cities throughout the country, I want to say Seattle or, like you said, 47 cop cities going on right now. There's a lot of cities after the civil disobedience and the, and the unrest after George, George Floyd and Floyd and countless, um, you know, blacks murdered by the hands of police across the country. So there's a lot of um, grassroots to fund the police type movements, which is a great thing. But I've seen like, especially in Republican states, like governors stepping in and vetoing it or, you know, vetoing the bills and all that kind of stuff. And like I said, with Mm -hmm. D.C. Congress, you know, essentially nixing the ability for, um, you know, the funding of the police to go to resources like, you know, education, healthcare, homelessness, whatever, anything other than, you know, more cops, more jails, more guns on the streets. Um, but yeah, I mean, that, that's completely a, a mockery of democracy, you know, where it's like, um, you know, the, the people and their local representatives within the cities want to do something, you know, they want to reallocate funds, you know, and take them away from the police that I don't think need more funding. I think they need less funding for sure. I mean, they're militarized and they have, you know, all this tactical equipment. And yet when there is a school shooting, they're outside waiting around. You know what I mean? So, uh, but yeah, I mean, it's just, it's just, uh, you know, it's it's so difficult, you know, and and the ruling class, you know, they, they developed the system so that, you know, there's so much oversight. Like even if you have at the community level, people that want to defund the police, you have governors stepping in, the Senate and Congress stepping in. I mean, just all sorts of measures to make sure that uh, democratic policies don't go through. It's just disgusting. Right. And and the reality is um, that police are a function of the state. And so the reason that the fund movement is unlikely to ever be successful is because the state is never going to be willing to defund the thing that it put in place to protect itself. So the monopolization of violence, the the state monopolizes violence and as Chomsky uh, says it all the time, um, you know, the the biggest enemy to any government is a domestic population. So typically they, they have a bigger threat to those in power within the society than any outside foreign country does, especially America, where we're in a country with literally no geographic enemies. That's why we have to pick fights all over the world, um, you know, and, and say that, you know, they are a uh, threat to the United States and we're trying to uh, teach them about democracy or some some kind of fallacy. Of course, the United States, we've been at war uh, since essentially 1776. And I believe in 1947, the Department of uh, War changed its name to the Department of Defense in a, a very clever technique of propaganda, because pretty much any time the U.S. military uh, is used, it's an offensive technique to um, you know, control you know, the world's oil supply right. or you know, whatever, whatever reason you know, Latin America to overthrow any slightly left-leaning governments. I mean, you know, the, the, the list is... It goes on forever. Our borders haven't been threatened since the War of 1812 when Britain, um, you know, burned down the White House. That's been a long time, not in my lifetime. <laughs> right. Uh, but yeah, I was going right. to say this too, like provocations, like there's all types of provocations in the South China Sea and on China's borders, military uh, operations going on there. And, you know, essentially we're trying to provoke China. And I've mentioned this before, retweeted it and talked about it on Twitter. Imagine if China, you know, was conducting naval operations in the San Francisco Bay. We would, you right. know, we'd probably <laughs> drop a nuclear bomb. You know what I mean? Oh, so, well, I mean, they had a meltdown when, you know, the, the, it's a weather balloon. the weather balloon was in there. <laughs> but, um, 
let's let's let me finish up with some more maybe upbeat stuff here. Some, you've been talking about some rabbit holes. Uh, we talked about Cop City a little bit. We talked about third party. What's some other rabbit holes you've been going down? Anything? Any, <laughs> any, any rabbit holes that you find interesting? You want to mention? I mean, the the Cop City one is a, a big one, and it's 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 swallowing me wholeheartedly. Um, the new thing that I'm going to start looking at is non-voters because I'm very interested to see what the population of non-voters is in comparison to what um, third parties or independent candidates need in order to gain their ballot access. Because sometimes I wonder if, <clears throat> and I've actually been saying this for a long time, if this battle to steal, you know, to get voters from other other parties is is really the way to go versus just really appealing to the people who are just sick of the system in general, yeah. you know, looking for um, looking for somewhere to go with their support where they can feel like someone's actually paying attention to the improvement of their own material condition. Um, <clears throat> another rabbit hole is um, community resources. I'd really, you know, I. I find often that there are, there's always groups in every community that are trying to do um, do something to just basically improve what's happening locally and um, found some great resources that I just, you know, I'm just going to keep like screaming to the hills, like here's something that people can read and here's something that people can do um, to try and improve their own material conditions. Um, outside of utilizing the state and the non nonprofit industrial complex, and there's just so many awesome different things yeah. happening. The, non- the nonprofits—it's just... ridiculous. It's just an extension of the capitalist wing. <laughs> uh, if we had a functioning government and a functioning tax system, there would be absolutely no reason to have charities, nonprofits, or handouts. You know what I mean? We should have right. actually a functioning state where you know vulnerable people get the resources they need. But obviously, we don't have that here. Right. Right. And, you know, and not for nothing, I'm, I'm, I am a chair for a nonprofit, um, not like the chair chair, but like the chair of a committee. Um, but the goal is education, right? Like we're not, we're not getting government grants to do things. We're basically no. like just teaching people stuff and, and trying to give, give information. Um, so it's a tricky, you know, it's a, it's a really tricky slope to be on when you're really seeking to just do something that's going to be beneficial to people and trying your best to navigate the system as it exists so that, you know, you you can do the thing that you're trying to get done. Um, It's very, very tricky. And I I started writing for um, an outlet called Public Squared Amplified, which is based out of Newark. Um, And they're all about community news like you know how is this thing going to affect the people locally and how can we you know bring this information to people so that they understand what's happening in their own communities and I feel like those are the things that you know they need they should exist right so it's hard to say like all nonprofits shouldn't exist because the system is set up in such a way that you know there are a few that are doing like really really good things and and but it's all so tricky because so many of them are not doing the right thing. <laughs> so no, no, no. Just, what I'm tired know, of is these foundations set up by rich people like Bill Gates so they can kind of skirt the tax system and so they can get right. tax write-offs. And so they can essentially play God and, uh, 
you know, determine where the money goes and how it's allocated. And I think, you know, instead of allowing rich people to uh, not pay taxes and set up these bogus charities and foundations where, you know, this money gets laundered, well, we should just have a functioning government, maybe on local and community levels where we can decide, you know, wh- wh- where's this money going to go? What can we fund? Instead of just, again, allowing right. rich people to kind of pick and choose what little side project they want to fund. Uh, but right. you mentioned New Jersey. Uh, let's just finish up with some New Jersey politics stuff. Uh, you had mentioned in our pre-call the nurses are on strike. Uh, yes, Rutgers, uh, Ro- it's Ro- uh, oh, Robert. Oh, I'm going to mess up the name of the hospital. I think Robert Morris or something. But it's uh, yeah. it's it's down in the Rutgers area, okay. and they've been on strike since. August, if I remember correctly, because they're trying to get their staffing straightened out. Um, California passed a law that required a certain amount of staffing because after they did a number of studies, it was, I mean, you know, to me, this is like common sense stuff. If you have enough staff, then people are less less likely to die. They're less likely to deal with, you know, infection and, you know, all these things. And so the nurses in in New Jersey are, are fighting that battle and they've been on strike you know, for months now trying to get adequate pay and adequate staffing. And um, and it's been a battle. And I believe they're going back to the negotiation table. So we'll see how that all, play, you know, plays out. But it's um it's a tricky, it's a tricky thing when you, you live in a quote unquote blue state, right? Where people right. So think cool. like, oh, like, <laughs> oh, it's New Jersey. It's a blue state. Yeah. And, you know, there the, there's some there's some really good things about New Jersey, but there's also a lot of really like sucky things about New Jersey. And yeah. in the end, you know, the system is not built to take care of regular working people. So these battles that are happening um, everywhere, they're, they're also happening in New Jersey because the, the system is just not really built to take care of regular working people. And speaking of New Jersey politics, your favorite politician, Chris Christie, you helped him campaign for president. Isn't that right? (laughs) Yes. (laughs) I'm just kidding. No. Oh Lord, yeah. I I don't even. I'm. I like. I'm so ready for it to be October of 2024, so we could just be past that whole like cycle of of nonsense. It's just. I'm. I'm already over it. Quadrennial extravaganza. I'll quote Emma Goldman here. If voting could change anything, uh, they would already make it illegal. So again, I'm not advocating to leave uh, electoral politics, the Republicans or the Democrats. I mean, they'd be happy to have, you know, 15% of the population vote. They'll take a win as a win. You know what I mean? Uh, And already, I think something like half half the U.S. population doesn't think voting is worth their time. It's much lower than any other industrialized society. That's right. Uh, And some of the people, you know, they kind of just assume they're already disenfranchised. The decisions are already made by elites. What's the point of voting for Pepsi or Coke? Uh, And the United States is also one of the only party, or actually the only uh, industrialized country, and maybe the only country in the world, where there's not like a mainstream labor party, a party for working class people. Again, we have kind of two business parties, two capitalist parties here. Um, A lot people would probably more likely vote for a labor party or a green people, or a green party, uh, out of the half that don't vote. You know, typically those are the, you know, kind of poor, more working class people. Elites vote, you know? 
know, they almost always vote. So uh, the people that don't think it's worth their time are, you know, kind of the people that think, uh, and they're probably right, that the uh, the Republicans and the Democrats left the working class behind. But uh, anyways, I'll leave there the is, There is, I'll, I'll real quick mention that there is, um, the, the PSL does have a candidate, um, Claudia and Karina are running for president and vice president. And although, you know, I'm, I'm not super versed on, on the, the PSL or what the, the group has totally done, I can say that I've listened to Claudia speak on multiple occasions and she's a, she is a fire starter. Like she's, if you have not, if you have not uh, checked anything out that she's, she's been doing, she really, you know, she, she is about as real and, and for, for changing things to the betterment of the regular working person um, as anybody. And, and, you know, it's, it's tricky because I'm Green Party. And as of right now, we don't have a candidate to my knowledge. And so I don't know, I don't know how that's all going to play out. Um, but, you know, I, only because I'm so super familiar with, you know, she's been on, on the Saturday show and, and I'm, I'm very familiar with the things that she's been doing and, and what she's talking about. And I just, you know, if, if people are looking for someone who is talking that real talk, might not be a bad idea to just check out some of the things that she's putting out there. Speaking of acronyms, before I forget too, the PSLF, the Public Service Loan Forgiveness, uh, <laughs> it's a complete nightmare. The entire student loan scandal, Biden campaigning, we're going to cancel 10000 or $50,000 worth of debt. It's all been a failure. His presidency right. is a failure. Uh, neither the Republicans nor the Democrats want to take student loan forgiveness seriously. They're just, you know, it's just gaslighting us. Um, so I've read before on the PSLF that less than 1% of people uh, get accepted, you know, make essentially, if you're not familiar, you make a, if you work for uh, a nonprofit or a government or some sort of public service institution, you make 120 payments, your loans are forgiven. But again, less than 1% of people that apply for that PSLF and to have their loans forgiven are actually accepted you have a pretty crazy story you've made what 50 some pay- or 50 <laughs> 150, 152 payments yeah. um and i finally just got um clearance that you know 120 of those 152 payments that i made um you know i'm over the limit now which which is really great and and i will say that you know in 20 21, they gave people the opportunity, and I don't know how many people took it because there was that one percent of people. It was such a small percent that was getting their loans cleared. They did like a whole thing, and you could reapply and you know get these special waivers and the whole thing. And I don't know, I don't know how many people actually knew that that was happening, right? Because some of my payments only qualify because of that special waiver that came that went into place in 2021. Um, but I had to, you know, it took a year to get my old job like eligible. And so in yeah. the meanwhile, you know, like all of those payments for the nine years that I was working there, none of those payments were counting towards that that loan forgiveness. And so finally that that uh, employer is now eligible. And that's how I ended up at 152 payments. But you know what? I'll take it as long as they don't try to send me a yeah. bill this month. Um, 
Good luck. Uh, that's awesome. <laughs> right. I'm, a, I'm a debt warrior here. I'm struggling through student debt myself. Um, so I don't want to make you sick before bed. It looks like you're getting ready for bed. I am too. But imagine if all those 150-some payments, imagine if they actually went to your, your retirement or something that would benefit right. you in your life instead of just pissing it away down the drain. And then some of these right. colleges, colleges that I went to, they have billions and billions of dollars uh, in endowment. Right. And my student loans have been bought and sold dozens of times. It's just a scam. Right. It's a scandal. It's a, it's a scam. Scandal. It's a it's a debt trap. Uh, education shouldn't carry with it uh, a lifelong uh, debt trap, but unfortunately, in the United States, it does. And it has nothing to do with economics. Every other country in the world can figure out a way to pay for higher education. It's about instilling discipline and obedience, and to essentially take away choice. Because when you have right. hundreds of thousands of dollars of student debt, you got to start working, and you probably have to work right. for a corporation if you have any chance of paying it off. So, but that, right. luckily the, the the public service uh, debt forgiveness is out there. I hope other people can take advantage of it. Good luck to you, and good luck to anyone else that are trying to uh, get their debt um, forgiven or you know uh, reducing it and all that kind of stuff. Because um, yeah, as a millennial, I think half of us are still living with our parents. So we've been saddled with this debt. It's been very cool, but. We're eventually going to take right. over this country. You know what I mean? All well, these. Uh, well, I'm going to let you all do it because I'm Gen X. So. <laughs> wow. Okay. I'm a, I'm a millennial. So you got me by about 10 years or so. Yeah. So maybe we're on the same side. We both hate the boomers, yeah. right? No, exactly. I'm just kidding. I don't, hate I don't hate the boomers. I hate the elites, you know, and some of them there tend to be the boomers. So I don't, I, I'm nothing about ages or nothing about that. But uh, yeah, Gen X and millennials and Gen Z will, will team up and, and hopefully take over politics sooner rather than later because there's way too many rich, uh, you know, <laughs> people in Congress that uh, don't have the needs that I'm looking for. But uh, anyways, the stage is yours. I really appreciate your time tonight. You were so generous. Uh, you want to plug anything or you want to talk about what you're working on, your YouTube projects, anything like that? Go ahead. Stage is yours. Um, so I am a member and a, a, a committee co-chair of the um the global pan-African movement of the North America contingent. We do education and um, hopefully the goal is to just continue to give people information. We're currently rebuilding the website, so we'll see how that goes. Um, if people are interested in my written work, I do have a Substack, and I also have um, a finally did my first actual like public article through um, Public Squared Amplified, which is a great outlet, again, based out of Newark. And the the, the show is on Saturdays. We get started at 11 a.m. every Saturday, me and Dr. Jared Ball on Black Power Media um, for Saturdays with Renee. So it's always a it's always an interesting conversation at the least. So you do it live for that as well. Yeah, it's a live stream uh, on Saturdays. We did we did uh, we 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 did film it last week because um, Jared was going to be out of town, and so we didn't want to um, not do the show. But generally, it will be live stream with the chat engagement and the whole thing. It's 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 an interesting it's an interesting time. I'll say that it's an interesting show. It's interesting. All right, Renee, it was a pleasure. Let's stay in contact. Maybe we'll do it again Absolutely. sometime. Have a great night. You too. Take care. Thank you for listening to Necessary Illusions. also want to thank my special guest, Renee Johnston, for a great discussion tonight on Israel-Palestine, the duopoly, Cop City, student loan forgiveness, and many other topics. 
again. I am your host, MC Squared. No gods, no masters. I'm out. Thank you.